What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. Uh, it is, what's the day today? It's May 19th, 2021. And uh, I, I think we continue to good, get good news on the COVID front. We, we, we're still having this kind of freak out about, you know, what is, what's the status on masks? And I guess the idea now is uh, Tony Fauci was out. Um, I don't know, sometime last night or this morning or something like that, basically saying, you know, we didn't say masks were done. We just said that if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear one. And I guess there's still this kind of, I, I thought that was pretty clear, but it's also kind of seems clear that, that a lot of states are just saying you don't have to wear masks anymore. And the, the part about, you know, it mattering if you're vaccinated seems to have kind of fallen by the wayside, and that that's that's um, that's kind of weird. But uh, at least in the in the heavily vaccinated parts of the country, the the cases continue to decline pretty uh, pretty rapidly. So that's great. And the big news today is this is this commission, or I, I you know I, I guess it's not really clear there is going to be a commission. So maybe that's the big news of the day. But you've we've had this. Uh, you know, for weeks we were going on and on because I guess Nancy Pelosi wanted a, you know, a bipartisan commission, but one in which uh, the Democrats had the dominant hand because they're the dominant party in Congress right now. And uh, Republicans, that was, you know, that was a that was a non-starter for Republicans. And at least there's, you know, there's there's uh, at least a, a hint of rationale for that. Because, you know, a bipartisan commission, the idea really there is that it's not just that it has members of both parties, it's 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 equal. Right? And that and that is the that is the, you know, to the extent there's a tradition of these things back to the, you know, back to the nine eleven commission and other commissions over time. I can't remember what the uh what the deal was with the with the Warren Commission. Um maybe this didn't seem as you know, maybe uh both parties being involved wasn't, you know, kind of what didn't seem as salient, you know, shouldn't be controversial. The president's assassinated. In any case, um, we, we obviously have that problem that has hung over this from the beginning, that it is difficult to involve the perpetrators in the investigation. This is, you know, this is a pretty, pretty elementary point. Um, and that's the problem that one of the two parties did it. And so we've had this problem from the very beginning. It, it's hard because one party did it. And that makes it kind of hard for it to be bipartisan. Um, one party did it. The leader of that party, the ex-president, who's still clearly the leader of that party, he did it directly. Um, so he's probably, you know, he's obviously not going to be on board in investigating what he did. And it has been clear over time that even the members of Republican members of Congress who, you know, arguably did not have their hands on the original thing, 
definitely want to make sure it is never investigated. Uh, basically want to say either that it was great or that it should never be spoken of again. And we had this thing uh, last week where suddenly, oh, there's an agreement. And I, I at least, and I, I suspect other people were thinking, oh, wait, wait, okay, wait a second. Is this an agreement? Or because, you know, the, the party leaders don't seem on board. And who is this guy who, who negotiated it? And then we found out that, well, this guy whose name is John Katko, I think, a uh, representative from uh, New York State, Republican representative, um, that McCarthy, you know, deputized him to negotiate it. So he wasn't freelancing. Uh, but I think it must be that, that and, and apparently he was briefing McCarthy and sort of following his, you know, ground rules and how to negotiate it. But I think McCarthy must not have, he must have assumed that the Democrats were not going to agree to things that he demanded. Uh, so when he uh, when it got announced in pretty short order, he came out against what had been negotiated on his behalf. And just a few moments before we started recording, uh, Mitch McConnell, it came out and he said, yeah, no, I don't support it either. And, you know, not sure he kind of, you know, whips it as a party loyalty issue in the Senate. Uh, probably not uh, necessary, but it is kind of a fun full circle for McConnell. I mean, you know, his his line at the very beginning, you know, January seventh, and in the, in the in the days after, was that this was a a terrible thing that Donald Trump did, and he should be held accountable. And he he just was hung up on this technicality that you can't impeach a president when he's no longer president. And that was kind of his, you know, that was his only thing. And now he just has decided that the commission's a bad idea. And and uh, from what Kate told me just before we went on the air, um, he doesn't even he didn't even seem to really feel much need to explain why he's opposing it. He's just kind of opposing it. I mean, I guess there's some throwaway lines about, you know, maybe it'll interfere with what the Justice Department is doing with investigations. And I don't know if he's still saying that there should be, uh, you know, an investigation of Antifa. Who knows? I think the point is, is that they are pretty clear. They don't want an investigation because they don't want any more details to come out because they did it and they want to protect the people who did it to the extent that they individually didn't didn't uh, didn't get it going at the beginning. So th that's where we are, and 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 we're going to talk about that. Before we do, remember that spring wouldn't be spring without all the springy stuff that you do. There's frisbee, barbecues, picnics, some variation of those things, and iced coffee. You can ring in the springtime with Grady's New Orleans style cold brew kit. Just add water to the reusable store and pour pouch and brew overnight for velvet smooth coffee you can drink iced or hot. Bring it to the park, take it camping, or even add a shot of vodka if you're feeling adventurous. Hey, it's spring. You're allowed to do that kind of stuff. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Okay, so uh, where are we, Kate? So it's really been the past couple days, you know, like you said, when when all this commission stuff got interesting, because like you say, on Friday, a deal between John Katko and Benny Thompson, who are the uh, the leaders of the Homeland Security Committee, they came out with this deal, which was it was, it was a surprise. You know, there wasn't a lot of grumbling or 
Yeah, it seemed like the issue was right, dead, exactly. Basically. And there was really yeah. not many whispers uh, that this was in the works, that they were even, you know, that these were the people involved, uh, that they were working on it. So then, boom, out of nowhere, full fledged deal that's got the the label bipartisan on it. And then, like you say, a few hours later, McCarthy's like, "Oh well, you know, I'm gonna have to look at the details of this before I comment." Then a couple of days later, we find out that he had asked Kako to negotiate with the Democrats um, and to keep him apprised of the negotiations. And then Tuesday, boom, he's against it. He, you know, because it would be uh, duplicative because it's partisan because Pelosi didn't get them her proposal fast enough in the beginning because, you know, the, their big thing that they've been going on about from the beginning is this should encompass all forms of political violence, you know, a fairly transparent attempt to kind of both sides the insurrection and be like, hey, look, liberals do bad things too, um, for which they they reach to, you know, quote unquote, Antifa just in generally, I guess. And then uh, some of the uh, destruction around the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, last summer, which they generally conflate to be the violent protests, even though, you know, as has been pretty well documented by this point, those, you know, acts of destruction or violence were, um, you know, a very, very small portion of the protests, which were overwhelmingly peaceful, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All that was really ginned up by Fox News, um, using as scary of photos as they could at the time, in some instances, mashing up different photos together to make it look scarier. But all that being said, so then we have a situation where it's like, why would McCarthy deputize this guy to go make this deal if he's just going to leave him out to dry and say, you know what, never mind. And I think you're right that so one of the options is he didn't think Kako could get it done and was surprised when he ultimately did, though you would think if Kako was keeping him in the loop, it wouldn't have gotten that far without him knowing about it. Well, I and 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 to that point, this is this is the part that kind of doesn't that up. I mean, you would think and 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 maybe this did happen that let's assume he's keeping him in the loop in general and then you get a deal did he like get the deal and then like shoot out right. a press release like didn't even like give him a heads up that the press exactly. release is going out or or didn't or didn't something I, it, it's it's really hard for me to see kind of what happened here i mean i've sort of gone on the assumption that mccarthy thought that that he had you know, made demands or, you know, kind of given CATCO demands to work with that Democrats couldn't agree to. So it's just never going to go anywhere. And he can say they're trying to negotiate. And so it, you know, gets him off the hook, to, takes the issue off his plate. And then they did. And it, and it does seem like Thompson went further than Democrats really wanted to go just because, you know, what they say is, we think, we just think it's so important. You know, the country needs it, which I think is true. And I and I think Democrats definitely believe that. Uh, Democrats obviously don't want to move on from it, right? I mean, the politics, the, the, the politics speak for themselves that you don't have to be about the politics. It just, it's, it's obvious you need it. So in any case, they went along with it. And But has, has your reporting given us any sense of, of whether that was kind of the dynamic? You know, it's really still obscured, um, you know, and the other possibility that you have to consider is if it's not this kind of massive miscommunication or lack of communication, which seems just odd, uh, you know, that then you're kind of left with a more sinister motive, which is, did McCarthy send Kako because he knew that Kako, as someone who had voted to impeach Trump, was not going to be the most compelling figure that other Republicans would 
feel compelled to kind of back up in this in this situation. Right. But even then, it just it's so funny because last week it was all Liz Cheney, right? That's what we talked about of the pod. Mm-hmm. That was the intra GOP fight of the week. And now we've got this next one. And I just, you know, 40 chess aside, I just don't see how having every week of the term so far, McCarthy dealing with his own members fighting each other is like the political message that you want to send, especially as someone who has very thinly veiled aspirations to be speaker. Yeah, I don't. It was sort of shot. I mean, let's let's just to clarify with listeners, uh, the, the Homeland Security Committee is sort of the most logical. You know, we don't we don't have standing committees about insurrections, but I mean, all things being equal, you know, kind of right wing extremism, terrorism, all those things come under Homeland Security. So they're not chosen at random. You know, that's that's as close as you get to sort of like that's the committee of jurisdiction. So so there's some logic regardless of who Katko was, wh- how he had voted on impeachment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to choose him. Um, that seat, and I don't know h- how much that seat, which I think is like around Rochester, um, I think, uh, in any case, at least at least that number seat has, has basically gone back and forth between the parties routinely over the last 20 years. May- maybe it's, it's functionally a different seat under that you know, label in before the last redistricting. But in any case, definitional swing seat keeps going back and forth. It seemed weird to me from the beginning, you know, I mean, come on, someone who voted for impeachment is like, if they're even allowed to be, you know, kind of <laughs> in the party anymore, they are, you know, that is, that's like an unspeakable offense, basically, in Republican politics right now. Um, we see what it did to Liz Cheney. Um, I don't know if he's been, you know, she obviously wouldn't let it go. I don't know how much he's been kind of there, but it's, but it is a weird person. It's a weird person to pick, especially because that's what it's about. He, you know, everything is so upside down because one of the two (laughs) parties did it. And so that makes everything kind of absurd. But from the Republican perspective, he's already voted to impeach Donald Trump over it. So he doesn't seem to have much question who's responsible or what the, you know, or what the story is. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, just in the context of Republican politics, that's an odd choice. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it seems like a, you know, it's, it's, it's at least four degree chess, you know, or <laughs> four dimensional chess or what it is. I have no idea. Um, did, did, has any, has any of your reporting or any reporting, You've seen anywhere else gotten to this, but I mean, I think you kind of just answered this, but gotten to this issue of, did he, did he just think it wasn't, nothing was going to come of it? And he kind of hadn't planned on what would happen if, if they got what they wanted. I don't know. It's still really just unclear. no idea. Yeah. And yeah. then the part of this, that's kind of double weird to me. And that kind of steers me away from the idea that this was McCarthy, you know, inserting a Republican into the process that he knew would be fairly easy to ignore or who wouldn't bolster a lot of the party behind him. The thing that drives me away from that is his McCarthy's reaction ever since 
the bipartisan deal went public, you know, which is the whole idea of like pretending he knew nothing about this deal is kind of weird on its face. But okay, maybe, maybe if his plan was to kind of double cross Catco and to be like, oh, I have nothing to do with this, know nothing about it. Okay, maybe. But then that was all on Friday. And it took until yesterday, Tuesday, for McCarthy to be like, you know what? I'm against this, actually. So here are my reasons. You should all be against it, too. And that just set off this like 24 hour mad scramble where, you know, it, it almost kind of felt like his move to make Elise Stefanik the heir apparent to Cheney. It was this kind of last minute imposition, which you could tell pissed the members off because he was like, OK, here's what we're doing. Get in line. And you've got some people with, you know, I guess enough ego or backbone or whatever word you want to choose who are kind of like, no, you know, there hasn't been enough discussion about this. Or maybe they just feel kind of steamrolled by leadership because last afternoon, Tuesday afternoon was just punctuated by members going on the record with their indecision about if they were going to vote for it or not. Or, you know, some of them, the likely suspects, but still some of them saying, no, we're going to vote for the commission anyway, which just makes him look weak, you know? Yeah. I mean, so what is, you know, there's, we have all these uh, new, you know, kind of email tip sheets nowadays and Punchbowl and Axios and still, you know, the Politico kind of got the, got the, got that started uh, a few years ago. Um, And overnight, I think it was Punchbowl had a pretty long thing just saying how, what a mess this was for McCarthy. And, you know, kind of to your point, kind of like, didn't we you know, didn't didn't they sew this up last week when they were when they when they got rid of, you know, Liz Cheney and they're back to it again? I would assume at some level a lot of many members of McCarthy's caucus are just pissed, like, how do we get here, dude? Like, not even so much you're saying we should vote against it, but like, how did you make this happen? And then we're voting it like like we just shouldn't be here. That 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 that's almost, I would assume, the sort of the bigger the bigger gripe. But that Punchbowl rundown made it seem like like that there are a lot of people, um, a lot of House Republicans who want to vote for it, um, and or at least were willing to express openness to voting for it yesterday. I mean, I think we've seen you know we've seen this plenty of times now. You know, yeah, that's what they said before the word went out and Trump made his feelings known. But even that kind of like we, we've known what Trump's feelings are. <laughs> exactly. Well, and they'd also had McCarthy's comments by that point. So, you know, it'd be super easy for them to be like, oh, I'm with the leader. You know, it just it seems to me and it, people I know on Twitter are always making the the Lucy with the football jokes and uh, pull, they pulled one over on us again. But the way that mem- that GOP members were talking after McCarthy's statement just didn't sound like how they talk about other stuff where they are going to stay in lockstep with the leadership and they're going to you know, vote that way. And so it was just, it seemed like this huge mess that was bogging McCarthy down. And you know, at first it seemed like they weren't going to whip people and they ultimately didn't. But Wait, I thought I thought they decided they they are well, whipping it. They or, are that kind changed, of, yeah. Or? They sent out like a bulletin okay. that they were like, by the way, if you're planning to vote against this, let us know. Kind of at the eleventh hour, you know. You mean mean vote, vote for, for it, right? Or vote against us, right? Basically. Right. If you're going to vote for the commission, yeah, kind of go renegade. Let us know, yeah, yeah, which is yeah. almost this comical, you know, heavy-handed like crap, maybe we should figure out what people are feeling, you know. That's just how this whole thing has felt. Very clumsy, very heavy-handed, very 
making things up as you go. Um, so that was kind of the status this morning. We have this vote looming, you know, sometime between this afternoon and this evening. And everything felt really scattered and unsure. And like there was a potential for a GOP jailbreak that we were going to see a lot of mm-hmm. people vote for the commission, which would just be super embarrassing to McCarthy. And just the latest of this long line of question marks of can he actually get this caucus in hand? You know, it was earlier this month mm-hmm. that Adam Kinzinger, who's um, kind of a, a never Trumper in the House, revealed that at least a small group of House Republicans had considered holding a no confidence vote for McCarthy back after the insurrection. So this isn't the first time that questions of his leadership abilities have come up and they seem to be coming up constantly. And House Republicans seem to be doing almost nothing but infighting. You know, one thought one thought I had is is that I mean, no one is more you know militant about not getting involved in sort of bad faith negotiations with Republicans that just delay and blah 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 blah. But I don't see that one in this light for a few reasons. One is that I don't think this is a bad just in purely political terms. I don't think it's a bad vote for Democrats. I think you know make them vote against it. That to me, I'm not saying it's gonna. It's going to change the overall results of uh, the 2020-2022 midterm. But if I'm in a swing district as a Democrat, either as a challenger or as an incumbent, I'd like to be able to say, yeah, you know, when it, when it came time to just find out what happened in the inter- insurrection, you decided to cover it up. I mean, that, that's, that, that's fine to have that vote as far as I'm concerned. And it's not like... Um, there's sort of no downside in partisan terms. There was no time, you know, there was no time chewed up negotiating this that now like, you know, sort of like the the Obama model that you spent, you know, a year and a half trying to get, it wasn't actually a year and a half, but, you know, a long time trying to get buy-in over which time the public soured on the idea, Obama got less popular, blah, 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 blah. And none of them ended up supporting it. But here... They were just negotiating and they came up with something and sort of no loss in, in partisan terms, as far as I'm concerned. I don't I don't see any problem. So, yeah, a lot of that like, ah, uh, Lucy in the football, blah, 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 blah. You got you got hoodwinked again. I, that doesn't I don't think that applies here. I don't think there, there's there's um nothing was lost by negotiating this. I mean, you could say that um, what was lost was giving Republicans an effective veto on the commission, the way that it's structured, and you and I talked about this yesterday, um, you know, off uh, outside of the pod, that there's also there's a lot of internal specifics, but the the key is that if the Republican commissioners remain united, they can veto basically any decision that this commission would make, and that's a pretty big deal because, as we've said, the Republicans did it. Right, so that's that's a basic problem, but that's that's kind of baked into there being a bar- bipartisan commission in the first place. I don't really think a bipartisan commission even makes sense because one party did it, as we said. Uh, but that was sort of the only that was the one criticism that I think was had a decent amount of merit fr- from the Republican side, and that was that wait a second, if it's a bipartisan commission, why are there more Democrats on it than Republicans? I mean, the whole the whole point of bipartisan is you say we're going to split it down the middle because partisan partisanship is not going to play a role. And and again, I don't think that 
really makes any sense in this case. But if you are calling it a bipartisan commission, that really is, that's how bipartisan commissions work, at least, you know, historically. Um, so let me ask you this, Kate. In, in you were watching, I guess McConnell's statement, uh, uh, you know, shortly before we we mm-hmm. started recording. Is your sense that that sort of you know kind of backstops it for the House that the people who are kind of on the fence are going to say, okay, fine, I'm not going to vote for it. It's not. It's clearly not going anywhere. Blah blah. blah. Is or or is it? Yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly my sense, because the thing that was kind of the most intriguing about this to me was yesterday after McCarthy made his statement, McConnell was being super wishy washy about it. You know, he said, we're we're open to arguments in favor of it. We're undecided, blah, 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 which, you know, that left McCarthy out to kind of, you know, writhe in the wind a little bit. Um, And I think increased a bit of the drama last night with how the House was going to vote. Because if you take McConnell out of the equation and say, imagine that that's still his posture, we're undecided, then I think that makes the likelihood of a House GOP jailbreak way higher because their vote could actually mean something. Because if you have like a 50-person GOP House defection who all vote for the commission, that's a lot of pressure on their Senate counterparts to not just kill it. Because there's clearly a strong support of having a commission, even by people who wouldn't vote Mm -hmm. to support Trump, who are mainstream Republicans. Um, But then now we have this like, kind of perfectly timed statement from McConnell basically conveying to these House GOP fence sitters, this bill has no future in the Senate. So why take the hard vote? Well, do we do we think, though, that I mean, seven Republicans voted to convict Mm -hmm. the president? It seems to me, I mean, consistency is not a big strong suit for these people, but it seems to me that those would be pretty, you know, uh, pretty gettable votes for a commission. I mean, you already... You know, you already found him guilty, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe some of them will kind of twist that into like, "Hey, we already had a trial; mm-hmm. he's guilty. Let's move on." Um, but that seems like you could get probably seven votes. And uh, I mean, do we really th- do we think McConnell's decision really shuts it down in the Senate? Are we sure it does? I mean, who am I kidding? But like, <laughs> let's play. Let's let's play. Yeah, it out. I mean, no. It would just, it would seem to me, why would McConnell put himself out on the slim if he thought there were a ton of people who really wanted to have this commission in the Senate? I mean, he's basically just mm-hmm. kind of offering mm-hmm. himself up to look pretty stupid. Um, and McConnell is, yeah. I mean, he's I mean, just, he's better at his job than McCarthy is, you know? So, so, so much. I, so much. at least, so much. I, yep. well, I guess maybe barring. 2017 healthcare. There just haven't been that many instances where McConnell has been flatly humiliated by his caucus in public like that. And that's what this would be if there was a commission. Well, and that and and that's also the case there that like the I mean, first of all, you had McCain, mm-hmm. who obviously was the was the the sort of the loose cannon who who did them in on that. But also, there was no way that. McConnell could say, eh, I'm just not feeling it on Obamacare mm-hmm. repeal. That was, that had to happen. And he could not, there was no way he could say, I'm just not going to kind of, I'm not going to play here. It's because it's uncertain. He had to. Um, so yes, that was a major humiliation for him, but he kind of couldn't ignore it. He couldn't get around it. Um, I, I guess, I mean, <laughs> I, I think that, that they're just going to find a way to kind of 
make this go away and that will be it. But the only the only completely uh, unrealistic hope I have is that I would think for a lot of these House Republicans, it's not just whether there's a commission, it's they have to live with the vote. And um, it, that's a tough position because certainly my sense of this is that, you know, we know that maybe 30, 35% of the electorate is kind of, you know, pro-insurrection basically. Um, but if you're not in a very strongly Republican district, you need more than just partisan Republicans. And so it's not completely clear to me that um, that the perception, probably accurate, that it's dead on arrival in the Senate makes the situation less complicated for House Republicans. I will say this, though. Um, I was reporting very closely on the vote to impeach Bill Clinton back in 1999. Pretty sure it was, wait, it was, it was, it was the end of, I think the vote to impeach was at the end of 98. The actual trial was in 99. Um, in any case, liberals at the time were saying, because Tom DeLay was the whip at the time and a very awful guy, but a really good politician. And uh, the sort of the, you know, the DC types and liberals are saying, oh, you know, Delay is just squeezing those people. He's forcing their hand, you know, because he was very, very, very pro impeachment. But what he claimed and what my reporting seemed to bear out was that he didn't really need to threaten anybody. He just said kind of like, look, every Republican says this has to happen. And here's the polling that shows that. So good luck when you try to run for re-election again. There's no threat. We're not saying we're going to withhold money from you or run a primary, just like, you know, just making an argument. Just look, you're, you're toast. Um, and the non-Republicans, they'll forget. Now, Republicans actually did lose a few seats in that in that election, maybe half a dozen or something like that. But there were predictions. That, that there, people were predicting the Republicans were going to pick up like 40 seats in that thing. In in that in that midterm, it was it was, this was I'm gonna I'm gonna be totally out of character and brag for a second here. Uh, this was a this was early in my career something I was I was weirdly proud of because I was saying in advance, you know what I'm not I don't I don't think they're gonna pick up seats not nearly as many seats. They may even lose some seats. And it was like, oh, no, 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 40 seats, 50 seats. Uh, it's going to be a, a, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the key was that if you looked at the polls, the polls predicted pretty clearly something like what happened. Tie, Democrats pick up a few seats. But D.C. was so in the mind of impeachment that they, that they didn't, they just ignored the polls. Um, in any case, maybe it's just going to be like that where... Uh, you know, whoever's kind of giving Republicans advice can just say, look, do whatever you want. But if you vote for this, you know, you're going to get primaried and 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 whatever. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's I could I could even see it's at some level an argument that if you vote against it and then there is it and, and then there's no commission then people can run against you saying like, ah, oh, yeah, you voted against it. And that's one of the reasons we don't have a commission. I mean, I have no idea. I mean, I think experience tells me they're going to figure out how to just 
all vote against it and that's it. And all of my kind of speculation are meaningless, but well, that's what I've And then there's with. the kind of perhaps more dire argument for Republicans, which is say there is a commission, say it unveils some really damaging stuff about some pretty important Republicans, which is not like beyond the yeah. pale of the possibility. Uh, so I think... I mean, it's almost right. a certainty. <laughs> so fact, I think yeah, that's yeah, playing yeah. out too. And I, I was thinking about it. The only other thing I can see... Perhaps, I still don't think it's likely, but perhaps McConnell goes out on this limb to dissuade House Republicans from voting for it so he doesn't have to deal with the pressure that puts on his caucus. And what John Thune said today, mm -hmm. which is that this hasn't been whipped um, among the Senate Republicans yet, is true. And this is kind of an influence play. Again, I don't. Right. I just don't see McConnell putting his neck out like that before he has got a pretty good lay of the land of his own caucus. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and whip, I mean, there is a whip in the Senate, but you can't really whip senators that way, you know, in the, in the in the same way. Every senator kind of they're pretty into themselves, and they think they have their own, um, you know, their own strength. They're not reliant on the party, all that kind of stuff. Um, I do, and 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 with the whipping in the House, not all of these things kind of need to be updated for the Trump era, because like, do you really need to whip it? <laughs> Is there someone out there who's like, I thought I hadn't didn't hadn't really heard what Trump thought. <laughs> so I voted for it. Now I, you know, kind of I wish you would have told me. So, you know, so kind of everybody gets this, you know, gets the score here. Um well, I guess in the other the other part of this, I would think, is and this this really depends what the Democrats would do. If this goes down, then certainly Democrats would say, okay, clearly you will never, never agree to any commission under any circumstances, you know, because the idea that you're going to say, all right, we're going to have a, a, you know, look into, you know, the insurrection and also that got, you know, kind of random guy who had, who had, who had once volunteered for Bernie, who, who shot up some people, including Steve Scalise and a very serious, genuinely political, you know, politically motivated thing that was horrible, but is unrelated to kind of anything else that happened years and years ago. Um, if Democrats come back and say, okay, cool, we're just going to make a commission and we're, here's our, here's our commissioners. And, uh, you know, you don't need, uh, president can do mm -hmm. it. I'm trying to think of the you different, can. you know, the different kind of mechanisms you can use. And then you have a commissions and then kind of like Democrats can really make it real. And, and, I don't know if that is, I haven't even thought at this point. I, I, I mean, I mean, the usual thing is if the president, you get everybody involved, maybe it's the president makes the commission, but, you know, Congress passes a bill too. you know, kind of everybody gets on board. I don't, I don't even really know what exactly um, the executive branch can do. Well, they, yeah, they can stand up a commission like this. Um, and this, but can it have? I mean, I guess it can have subpoena power because he's yeah, the president. I have to go back because I did. This kind of came out in a bit of my reporting I was doing a while ago when I was trying to connect with uh, people from old commissions to kind of get their read. And you know, this this is months ago, but this was when it just kind of became clear to me that everyone who had done this kind of stuff before was in these kind of circles before was like, yeah, bipartisan commission is not going to work here. If there is one, it's going to ultimately be partisan. And there definitely is, you know, and I have to go back and check the specifics. I know the executive can set one up, but the, and there is a way to fund it. I don't remember. I have to go back and check. But, um, you know, it was interesting. I kind of feel like the most 
informative conversation I had about this was the guy who chaired the financial crisis commission who was like, you know, there's great value in having a partisan commission because that commission, you know, the commissioners could never get together. There was a minority report and a majority report. And, you know, and he said, you need a historical record, you know, and that's kind of where we are now. Um, And I do, that's something, you know, I think there are a few options here at this point. It's like, it's going to get to the Senate with or without kind of a Republican mutiny in the House because of the Democratic majority. So then they have a few options. You know, they can just filibuster it, kill it, never going anywhere. Or they could insist on stuffing it with so many poison pills as to make Democrats not want to support it, you know, and Maybe that's by like you were just running through broadening the scope to such comic extent that it includes the 2017 shooting. You know, it includes the the violence around the Black Lives like Matter. Portland exactly. And, I mean, yeah, to such an extent where where Democrats are going to have to face: Do we want to give? to publicly agree that all these things are on the same level, that both political parties do the same kinds and the same amounts of violence in keeping with what you're saying, which is that the subpoena power is imperiled by this deal. I mean, it the ability of Democrats to subpoena anyone, you know, including Kevin McCarthy to talk about what he talked to Trump about during the insurrection as of now completely hinges on whether or not there is a reasonable Republican on that committee, a Republican who's willing to place blame on McCarthy, on Trump, on his or her own party, which the people who are going to be appointing it will be McCarthy, you know, and McConnell. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they I mean, in that sense, it's a uh, it's it's a pretty good deal in as much as I mean, as you say, it will it will be literally McCarthy and McConnell who appoint these people. So I mean, that should be pretty straightforward. You know, you just get people who who are not gonna are not gonna go renegade like that. Um, in in that sense, it's a pretty good deal because you can be pretty certain it's not gonna it's not gonna look too closely at anything or go too hard at you know at the president or um, I mean it's funny because I, I I saw these people saying, well, you know, it's possible it could subpoena members of Congress. Members of Congress are the victims. The perpetrators, the witnesses. I mean, of course they're going to. Now, subpoenaing means someone's resisting. You never subpoena first. You just ask them to come in. You know, you ask them to testify. But I mean, again, it's we have to remember the members of Congress are like the only relevant people. It happened in their house. It happened there. You know, they and 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 they are obviously there's stuff within the within the previous administration, but the really key things are the communications between the parties, uh, between members of Congress and the president, like that critical call uh, with Kevin McCarthy and Trump, where and and again, what is so rich about this to me is that it's not Kevin McCarthy is not worried that he is going to be exposed as a participant here. He's going to be exposed as someone who was against it. As someone who called up during and said, call the fuck your people off. And 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 when I say that, all of our accounts of this of this call was that it was very heated. And President Trump basically said, you know, this this kind of now notorious line, I guess they care more than you do, Kevin. 
Um, so, 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 uh, uh, Trump says that and, and our understanding is that McCarthy said something like, you know, who, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? You know, I, I am the leader here on, of your party in Capitol Hill. These people are overrunning the seat of government. So the point is what, what is so bad for McCarthy is not that he is going to be incriminated. I mean, you could say, you know, there's different levels of incrimination here, but he will be exposed as having basically indicted Donald Trump with his own words. And again, the uh, we've talked about this before, both as a common sense matter and a legal matter, he, you know, Trump queued up the insurrection over the course of like six months, long before the election even happened. And, but the incitement charge is that speech. And if you, you can, it's not too hard to take this speech out of context and just sort of say, hey, he was just charging up his people. He didn't tell anybody to like hang Mike Pence, you know, but where, so, so you can make excuses for that about what he said in, 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 in that speech. But the key from what we're, from our understanding of what McCarthy witnessed was that while it was happening, he refused to do anything about it. And that gets you to something that both in a common sense sense of the word and even in a legal sense of the word, that's bad. And that's pretty straightforward. And McCarthy knows. McCarthy's the witness. So it's, it's, it's devastating for him because as we, you know, we, we, at the beginning of the episode, Kate, we talked about, you know, weren't they supposed to have finished up with the internecine warfare last week? when they kicked Liz Cheney out of the leadership, and now they're back to this again. And we can see it's that Kevin McCarthy's strategy is he can never do anything that Donald Trump is at all unhappy about. And, and <laughs> you know, we're not going to have a, a um, it, it's not that things like a commission are going to come up every week, but that could be a long two years. There's a lot of things that, that, that Donald Trump doesn't like. I mean, and so far, pretty much enough to fill almost every week of this term. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, and I mean, you know, there's even, I, I don't know what the next thing would be. I mean, I am kind of curious. I don't know if you've heard anything about this. I mean, do you have a sense of, of whether there is a plan B for the, or maybe plan C or plan D for the Democrats? For the about, commission? Like, okay, say this. Yeah, well, or, or, you know, maybe it's not a commission, but basically something to get to the bottom of this. Well, I mean, we do have uh, the Senate. Uh, I want to say mm, I'm not going to say I might be wrong, but we have a report coming out from two Senate committees, which is due soon, um, which they've been kind of marketing as you know, here's our our big dive into this. Here's our our big findings report from kind of all the work that we've been doing behind closed doors, uh, which, you know, ironically has kind of turned into a, a Republican weapon against the commission saying, hey, we're already getting this report. You know, we don't need more, but we are getting that right. soon. So my inclination would be or at least if I was in which committee is that? I it's Klobuchar's, which is rules, I think. Pretty sure so it's two of them rules and um oversight maybe working in conjunction uh but yeah that um, makes sense you know if i was if i was a democratic leader i might bide my time until that report comes out see where that's at and then determine next moves base you know 
considering what Republicans in the Senate do with the commission. Because if they kill it outright, okay, then you've got a blank slate. Your really only option is to stand up a partisan commission at that point. If they try to load it up with poison Mm -hmm. pills, you got to make the decision. Is it worth taking the blows of putting these things on the same level, taking into account the subpoena restrictions, but saying that having a bipartisan commission is more important than those things and those restraints and hoping that, you know, McCarthy and McConnell will misread one of their commissioners, that they'll end up getting someone who they think is going to be a Trumpy firebrand who, when kind of freed from the restraints of those people, is like, you know what? I care about this. I mean, I, I might cooperate from time to time, which, you know, has happened before when people thought they really had someone nailed right. down. And then when that person gets some independence, you know, behaves a bit differently. Um, so I think that's kind of what we're seeing, on, you know, coming up on the list. Do we have any sense whether those that sort of, you know, whether it's a couple committees mm-hmm. or one committee, whether that committee has really kind of come up with anything? Because at least... You know, from the outside, and our listeners will know, there, you know, there's been uh, different committees have had one person mm-hmm. up one day, and you know, a little smattering. But it's not like there's been some big public investigation. Right. Do we know whether? I mean, have they actually been deposing a lot of people behind closed doors that we didn't that we haven't I mean, heard about? Or if we they any? are absolutely leak free, so. Yeah, always seems I mean, that's, unlikely. That's, <laughs> yeah, and well, I get and 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 if that's the case, why would um, these committee? Well, I guess they're not actually under sort of arguably whether they're under democratic control or not. Um, but why would you? You know, why would you? If you're the Democrats, sort of put any kind of imprimatur on anything, right? If if you're not even unearthing new right. evidence. And without, um, you know, it, it's it's pretty hard to believe that like, oh, they, you know, put Kevin McCarthy under oath and he spilled the beans and we just didn't know about it. And that, that's that's pretty hard. Right. To and, and, and to really get to the bottom of anything, I think you would you would have to do that. So it, it, it seems like it's lined up kind of not really to tell us anything. And, and, and on, this is something that's worth coming back to. And it gets to that. It gets to that question of. Um, you know, the importance of it being a bipartisan mm-hmm. thing. All of these things are about creating credibility, creating buy-in. And we've discussed how we're living in an era where those things that are quite valuable are, are just not available. So you're, it's, it's, it's sort of foolish to prioritize them. But to me, the issue is always and overwhelmingly unearthing new facts. And, and yes, people have fake news and they believe what they did, but you, you find real new facts that has an impact. And that's just, that's just reality. And that, that, that to me is, is, is the first, second and, 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 and third priority. And it's hard to believe based on how little noise there's been that they've really had the ability to unearth right. anything new. Okay. So we're running out of time here. So let's shift to questions, uh, before we're out. Yes. Um, so our first one is kind of a follow-up uh, of something we talked about last episode. This is from John. Uh, he said, you address the question of what happens if Trump gets sick. My question is more along the lines of what if Trump goes to jail or loses a big civil suit, which shows him to be a crook or more of his, or that more of his associates are tied directly to Russian intelligence, et cetera. Then is there some kind of reckoning? Uh, and Josh, we went very briefly back and forth about this briefly enough that I believe my comment was deep state 
And you said, yeah, there's a structure to yeah, address this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The whole Trump system has has a perfect answer to this. And that is that he's now a dissident being pursued by the deep state. Now, I, I don't think that um, I think that it will be if something like that does happen, I think it'll be pretty bad mm-hmm. for him because you need more than just Trump people. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, it, it all sort of depends on, you know, the specifics matter. It seems to me that it is entirely plausible that, you know, these investigations out of New York State into his pre-presidential business practices, we, we all knew he was corrupt. You know, we all knew he's probably a tax cheat. Which some people liked about him. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I don't really see that having that much of an impact because we just kind of assume that. And, and you know, it, even at some level, I it's not that I have misgivings about it, but if you're to the extent that you were talking to talking about things that he got away with before he ever became president, and now because he is president, you're going to go back and and you know hold him accountable in the way maybe he should have been held accountable but wasn't, and maybe probably like a lot of other Richies in New York weren't held accountable. I don't think that really changes much, and I think it gives as good an argument as you can give to his supporters that it's, you know, he's being targeted. Um, you, you know, you break the law, you you can't say, hey, you didn't, I mean, I'm sure he will. You say, oh, you didn't prosecute everybody else. Why Why just me? If it's, if it's something that is, that really breaks new ground, like stuff out of like the Giuliani investigation, I don't know how much that would actually hit Trump himself criminally, but you know, Rudy is his guy. He's the one who who got him into the, you know, sort of got him into the Ukraine stuff, or at least was part of that. So if really bad stuff comes out there, I think it could be damaging. But I think the, the basic point is the one Kate made at the very beginning. Trumpism has a totally sufficient mechanism for dealing with anything like this. And that is, he's a dissident and the deep state is after him. So it not only doesn't force a reckoning, it just deepens one's uh, devotion. He's like, you know, he's the Navalny of America, <laughs> right? Biden's like going to get him, you know, kind of uh, do him in, poison him or something. So the thing that's always interesting to me is thinking about kind of how far do conspiracy theories stretch before they break, you know, and kind of the heart of a good conspiracy theory is you can never prove it all the way and you can never disprove it all the way. And then if you dedicate your life to it, there's always new depths to plumb. And so Mm -hmm. that's so interesting to me because the election fraud thing, right? It's like, obviously it's been disproved by every, by a lot of rational forums, you know, the, the courts, the election officials, et cetera, et cetera. But it's the kind of thing where can you ever say with 100% certainty there was not one case of voter fraud? Of course you can't, you know? And so it's, you take that and you run with it and that's how you get to this ridiculous place where we are in Arizona where you're investigating ballots for bamboo fibers because they were routed through China. But, right, the, right, right. but that is just such an interesting case study to me. The idea that Trump would go to jail, that there would be a prosecution so 
tight and so undeniable that they'd be willing to put a former president in jail, you know, which is obviously something I think most people would want to avoid, even people who don't like Trump, just because that is a scary thing to see happen in America. Right. And and so that is just so I just I imagine we would just see this whole, you know, cottage industries just just jump up around around the trials of people who are blogging what's really happening and all the lawyers involved would become characters and the the fabric of this uh, this conspiracy theory that started back when Trump was campaigning you know it would just it's like a quilt new patches added on that all kind of go to the yeah. same central thing which is like Trump is this ultimate disruptor and he's at a dangerous force that all of the the cabal of elites We'll stop at nothing to take him down, even after they ripped him out of the Oval Office unfairly. Right. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, it. it it's um, uh, on the issue of of you know it, what you say about conspiracy theories is exactly right. They they need to be elastic enough that 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 they can they can't really be outmoded by new information or new proof, but. One thing about the election fraud stuff, as you say, is something that is just a basic logical principle, which is that you can't prove a negative. What it, It's not so much that it's been proven to be false. It has been shown that no one has advanced any evidence whatsoever to validate any of it. And in the real world, that is that means it's not true. But as a logical matter, Again, you can't prove a negative. So you can always come up with some other idea, you know. So in any case, I don't think there's going to be uh I don't think there's going to be any reckoning for the 25 to 30% of the electorate that is like hardcore yeah. Trump, but it could do some political damage because that's not a, those people are not enough to win uh, the presidency or in a lot of parts of the country, even to get elected to Congress. Well, and I think the heart of the matter too kind of does go back to what we were saying last week about what if Trump dies or suffers some debilitating medical emergency, which is that people are only afraid of Trump insofar as they are afraid of losing the support of his supporters. And so Trump being in jail you know, maybe logistically, it makes him harder for him to blast out his press releases and everything. But his supporters are still going to be yeah. loyal to him. Those hardcore 30, 35% aren't going anywhere. And like we say, they have a built in scaffolding for how to deal with it. So I don't necessarily see that kind of right. lessening his sway over the party because it's really his supporters' sway who are going to feel the same and probably not be yeah. in jail. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. So our last question for today. Uh, comes from Derek. Sounds like a great guy. Just, he's He works at TPM. <laughs> so yeah. uh, hypothetically, if Cheney or another hardline conservative runs as an independent in 2024, does that hurt Biden or Trump slash Trump's successor more? I would say it probably is more likely to hurt Biden, although it you know, we need to see what's going on in, in 2024, basically. I think that, you know, there was a poll that came out and I actually did, I put a link to it um, on the site from this outfit, Democracy Corps, which is uh, Stan Greenberg and James Carville, or at least I, I think it's basically Greenberg's polls, but I think Carville was originally involved in it, whatever. In any case, they did a big poll and they were basically looking at 2022 and the, the 
the you know the sort of the overview is that Republicans are really united behind Trump. They're charged up for 2022. You know, kind of not great news for Democrats, and I would think for the country. But one of the points that they made there is that the real question is what happens to you know kind of Biden Republicans, which I guess is basically kind of never Trump Republicans. Not very many, but. You know, a few percentage points. You know, huge, huge, huge deal. And the question there was: Do they are they forced to make a choice, or are they given some, you know, safe harbor, i.e., a third party candidate? And so, in that sense, if you, you know, you're gonna have if if Biden's administration goes the way that it appears to be going, just in policy terms, you're gonna have a lot of stuff that anybody who's ideologically a Republican, even if they're you know, anti-Trump, it's going to have a pretty hard time getting behind, right? This is this is a, a pretty expansive, uh, progressive administration in policy terms. So if you do have like a Liz Cheney saying kind of like, I'm not going to compromise myself by backing Trump, I'll never support Trump, but I am for a kind of rule of law conservatism, could that peel off like a couple percentage points, two or three percentage points? I think absolutely. And and as we saw both, I mean, 2016 was about third party candidates. You take everything else out of the mix. That is the thing that the public did not really like either candidate. Both were fairly unpopular. And uh, two third party, three technically, but you know, the, the, the major draw was, was two different ones, one on the kind of one on the right, one on the left made it so a lot of people didn't have to choose. And that's really how Trump got in. And and we can see from how, you know, from one perspective, 7 million votes, but, you know, as many people have argued, you kind of put 80,000, you know, you change 80,000 votes in the right places and Trump is president. So a third party candidate could, could really hurt uh, uh, Biden. Now, it totally depends, right? If the country's like doing great, and um, Trump is more discredited, uh, and there's you know, and and there's a little more sense of kind of like Trump's not a savior; he's an albatross among Republicans. Maybe it goes the other way, but I would say um, more people who are in the better it is for Trump or the kind of the neo-Trump. That's my take as well. And I think when you think about it, kind of from the other perspective, are there people who don't like Trump but who voted for him because they find? The idea of Biden so appalling that they can't do it, but who find Cheney palatable. You know, that that doesn't seem like a very common mindset to me because kind of the whole, I think the the you know, whole thrust of Biden's campaign was I am unobjectionable or I am, you know, I'm affable, I'm likable, I'm not Hillary Clinton. You know, Republicans aren't going to yeah. hate me so much they can't push themselves to possibly do it. So I just think that kind of sliver of the Venn diagram of people who hate Biden but would be okay with Cheney is very small, if not non-existent. And I think you're right that the the sliver of people who voted for Biden grudgingly, but only because they find Trump abhorrent, but who could stomach Cheney, that sliver is much bigger. So I do think it would probably end up hurting Biden more. Um, I don't know. That's just, that's an interesting proposition too, to think about would, because, you know, okay, Cheney or whoever, 
a Cheney-like person who's maybe considering 2024, that's got to be part of the calculations too, right? I mean, the whole reason they're running is to save the soul of the country. So yeah. is that something they'd be willing to risk? I think I think that is a good point. I think there's another way to look at it too, is that it's not that there was some agreement that no one was going to run third party in 20, you know, in 2020. There were third party candidates. They just couldn't get right. any traction because everybody knew it was a stark choice and anything and, and, you know, and you could not avoid that choice, Trump or not Trump. And, and so that just sort of like, you know, took all the oxygen out of, you know, there was still a Libertarian Party candidate. I don't even know who it was because it didn't matter. There was still, a, I'm sure there was there was a Green Party candidate. I mean, there's always like 10 different people and stuff like that. But there were third party candidates. It's just that what we know, it was a stark kind of, I mean, the one thing that united the country is that it was a stark do or die thing. You know, everybody, everybody saw it that way. They just saw you know, different people as the do or die. Um, so I do think the, I do think there is a very good chance that you have a situation. I mean, this sort of, you know, kind of argues out of the question, but there's a good chance that you have another situation where everybody kind of gets it's everything's on the on the line and it just takes all the oxygen out from any third party candidate and in that sense it doesn't matter if they run because it's not a matter of they're running it's a matter of they can if they can get any support i mean obviously um just to play this out a little you know if biden is unpopular the, the, you know the all sorts of things are 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 possible and very unfortunate. Um, another um, something that is, you know, a very different scenario is, say Biden is popular and Trump is has not worn well over these you know three and a half years, and there you get a case where the strong assumption is you know again we're in a we're in a trump biden rematch scenario here that the assumption is all right trump's going to lose so it's kind of a free vote for republicans that is a scenario in which i think it it's it's conceivable that you get a a gop oriented third party candidate who actually gets a decent amount of you know a, a decent amount of votes maybe even you know not like perot terms but if if Republicans are thinking like he's losing, so it's not a matter of like oh can I you know do I vote for him or vote for Biden? You vote for Liz Cheney or you vote for some other kind of you know kind of Romney type Republican, and that then everybody feels good. I just I don't know if that would happen because I think I don't know if Trump supporters would ever believe that he's losing because we thought he was losing in 2016 and he pulled off this grandest greatest upset. Well, and also we thought a lot of us thought he was losing in 2020 and it was closer exactly. than we thought it was going to be. Um, yeah, no, I think that is, well, again, I'm, you know, totally, hypothetical. Totally. let's say it's, it's, it's just clearly he's going nowhere. Um, and, and it wouldn't be, and to be clear, it wouldn't be the Trump supporters who you're right, are never going to believe that he's losing. It's the, and, and the key thing in the electorate for the last five years is in many ways not so much the Trump supporters. It was perfectly predictable, I think, that you've got 35% of the electorate who is ready to vote for like a Louis Gohmert, you know, kind of totally nutso person. 
the key thing that I didn't understand, didn't predict, and what made me get the 2016 election wrong is that I thought the remaining part of the center-right coalition would abandon Trump. Um, and uh, the part that was very anti-Trump. And and what happened in, in practice in 2016, and to a great extent in 2020, is those people say, I hate Trump, but I'm a Republican. And that's what matters. And he's the Republican, so I'm voting for him. Right. Um, those people, I'm not sure necessarily in the same kind of like, you know, kind of uh, reality-breaking mind meld that they would never uh, think he's going to lose. But anyway, I, we've probably uh, uh, beaten the hypothetical <laughs> to death. But that's uh, that's one scenario where I think you could end up with a center-right third-party candidate actually getting a lot of support and taking it from Trump, but only because it was kind of already clear to start with that, that he was probably going to lose and people um, uh, on the center-right thought it was a free right. vote. Okay, well... I think that's that about does it. Thanks for the questions. Remember, yeah, thank you for the questions. More at talk at talkingpointsmemo.com. And remember that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You can get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Later.